0: Alright, good morning Chapel family. Good to have each one of you here and we want to thank those of you that are joining us online for being with us. We're grateful. I just want to share a couple announcements with you this morning real quickly. Uh, We had uh, Sy Hyde's uh, funeral or memorial service yesterday and uh, things went really well. They had to keep it low key because of the number of people uh, that would have come if it was an open invitation. So uh, Louise is sorry that she couldn't invite the whole church family. But they had a really nice turnout, about 100 people, just a lot of friends from the business, and a couple folks from church that Louise is rather close with. So I just wanted you to know that uh, that took place yesterday and that you can be keeping the family in prayer. Uh, Ryan and Ellen Duvenek gave birth to a boy, Nathan Scott Duvenek, and he has my wife's birthday, July 15th, so that's kind of cool. Carmelo and Kristen will... uh, be having a baby tomorrow. They have a scheduled C-section, and uh, so you can be praying for them. The first delivery was uh, an interesting and difficult experience for Kristen, so we want you to pray that this experience will be a blessing to her. I mean, the outcome of the first one is great, uh, but they're really looking forward to a smoother delivery process tomorrow. And then a lot of our ladies are away at the ladies' retreat, so you can be keeping them in prayer. Most of them will be traveling home sometime today, so just want you to be uh, upholding that in prayer as well. So let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll go into our season of worship. Father, we thank you this morning uh, for your grace that is evidenced to us in uh, just very unique ways in our lives. God, make us conscious of it. Let us let us see it more clearly as it is uh, present. Thank you for the evidence of it in uh, Louise's life uh, through the memorial service yesterday. Uh, God, thank you for what you have done in her life. Thank you for the example that she is and continues to be to our church family. Uh, We just pray that your grace would spread over her, over the family, over the uh, business that they run. Uh, God, just pour your blessing over them. We lift up Diana Kelly today, Father. We just continue to pray for healing for her, for strength for her, for increased faith for her, Lord. I thank you that she was able to be at the ladies' retreat this weekend. I pray that it, uh, for her and uh, Emma, I pray that it will be just a great and rich season of encouragement for them, Lord. Keep them, each of them safe, uh, all of the ladies as they drive home from the retreat. Just ask that your blessing would be on them. We also lift up the little Oregon Diesel baby. Uh, Thank you for the video that came through this morning of just movement and eye contact with this little little life, God, that has been through more in three months than most of us will ever experience in a lifetime. I pray, God, your very powerful, miraculous power over Micah's life, God, to preserve his life and to restore his health, and for the family, just the incredible strength that's needed for such a long season of struggle. God, I pray your favor over the grandparents, over the parents, the entire family. Lord, as we seek to worship you this morning, we do it in a slightly limited way, and yet uh, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We come into your presence. God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will, through the word that James brings this morning, challenge our hearts, change our lives, uh, exhort us strongly, Lord, so that we will follow you more faithfully, I pray. Bless come as he leads us today. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.
1: Jesus, You Endured My Pain.
2: Jesus, You endured my pain. Savior, You bore all my shame. All because of Your love. Maker of the universe. Broken for the sins of the earth. All because of Your love, all because of Your love. Because of Your cross, my debt is paid. Because of Your blood, my sins are washed away. Now. Because of your love, because of your love, I live. Innocent. Innocent and holy king, you died to set the captive free. All because of your love. Lord, you gave. Oh, Lord, you gave your life for me. So I will live my life for you. All because of your love. All because. All because of your love. Because of your. Because of your blood my sins are washed away now all of my life I freely give because of your love because of your love I live you did it for me you did it for me you did it for Your victory, Jesus. You are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus. You are enough. You did it for me. You did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus. You are enough. You did it for me. You did it. Jesus, you are enough. Because of your cross, my debt is paid. Because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life, I freely give. Because of your love, because of your love, and because of your my debt is paid, because of your blood, My sins are washed away, now all of my life I freely give, because of your love, because of your Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was poured with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. i leave behind. And mistakes Come today There's no reason To wait And Jesus is calling Bring your sorrows And trade them for joy From the ashes A new life is born And Jesus is calling
1: Savior. Oh, what a
2: Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing alleluia. Christ is risen. A down below. in here.
1: Lord, this morning we give you praise and glory, honor and thanks. We do look at your blood as being precious, because it was innocent and pure and spilled out for us, us, we who are not innocent and not pure, Lord. So we come to the altar this morning with our burdens and our concerns and our worries and our fears, and we lay them down before you this morning, Lord, knowing that you are capable. of to take all of our burdens and our fears and our worries and put them on yourself and to give us peace so God right now we lay our burdens down before you as a church family both here and far away and ask that you would take them because you are capable you are great enough to take them Lord some are small some are big and you can carry them all Lord Lord we thank you that we can worship together here in person we thank you that we can glorify you Lord we love you, Jesus, and ask that you please would help us to hear and to listen and to learn from the word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
3: Well, good morning. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles with me to, uh, Gal- I'm sorry, Genesis. Galatians, huh? We will get there. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we are continuing in our Journey in the life of Abraham and learning about his life and who he is and who he was and uh, what we learn. And I want to tell you that uh, uh, I've been learning a lot about this man and about my own life as I've been going through this journey. Years ago, uh, my wife and I married uh, when we were in 1992. In 1992, my wife brought a cat into our marriage. I had never had a cat in my life, to be honest with you. I I was always a dog person, and she brought this cat in. This cat's name was Hotbox. That's another story. Um, It actually means trouble on a train, so don't go any further. But to be honest, I couldn't stand the cat, to be honest. I didn't like the cat, and the cat didn't like me very much, and uh, this cat and I eventually got to a place where I kind of tolerated the cat, and as I'm tolerating this cat, it's like the cat would always try to get in between Amy and I, and you know, trying to separate the two of us, and you know, it's like, and it, it's pretty sad to admit that I was actually jealous of a cat, <laughs> it was like, I was really jealous of this cat. Um, but then eventually, I went from tolerating the cat and accepting the cat to actually kind of liking the cat. And the cat was like, well, this is not as much trouble as a dog. And, he, and she was actually pretty cute. And, and eventually, I'm laying on the couch, as I'm apt to do at times, and this cat jumped up into my lap and just laid down with me. And it's like, oh, no, now I start to to love this cat. And of course, it's 1995 now, three years into our marriage, and Hotbox starts to get sick. And uh, we take Hotbox to the vet, and the vet says that um, you really should consider putting her down. I'll tell you, I'm still, I'm up even right now thinking about taking that cat that I hated, that I tolerated, that I accepted, that I liked, that I loved, and putting her down. Um, and it was humane. And the cat went to sleep and then they took its life. And you know what's so sad to me was to think, I get moved to that level over a cat. The story that we're going to talk about this morning is about a son. And it's not just any son. It's the son of promise. I want you to to put yourself in Abraham's shoes today. And I want you to feel his pain. You know what's interesting as well as we go through this text is that Abraham's thinking and his feelings are never displayed in this text. It's not talked about. It's not what is important. It is, what is important is what he says and what he does. I think I find that really important to me. That feelings matter. He had feelings. He's not a stoic. And he had thinking and thoughts that went behind it. But deeper than that, it was what he said and what he did That was all the matter. I want to know when you go through your trials and you go through your testings and your troubles, what is it that you say? What is it that you do? Who do you trust in? Before we turn to this text, would you pray with me? Father, why is it that we find ourselves getting so upset over things that seem so very small in this world. We lose something and we get upset. We, we can't find something and we panic. We go through trials and we go through troubles and we go through pain and, Lord, we go through tests. But I dare say none of us have ever gone through a test like Abraham has gone through that you ordained that he go through. Father, every single one of us in this room have had to deal with incredible trials in our lives. I pray that we would learn from Abraham's life of how he trusted you and how he obeyed you. I pray that we would learn what your purpose in the trial was and this test was. And I pray that we would see the triumph that comes through this. And I pray that in all this, we're going to bring honor and glory to your son's matchless name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, this this passage is going to break down into three sections. Um, First, we're going to see the test in verses 1 and 2, the test. God tests His people. I, I need you to know that. that as, as you go through the trials and the difficulties in your life, I need you to know that God is going to test you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing I want you to hear. The second thing I want you to see is trust. God's people must act in faithfulness, in trusting God and obeying God through those tests. Through every trial and every trouble that you go through, you must trust. The test will come, but... You must trust. And the third thing I want you to see is this. Not only the test that was designed, the trust that was demonstrated, I want you to see the triumph that was placed on display. I want you to see the triumph of what happens that God will provide for his people. And when God provides for his people, he will also reward their faith. So as you go through these tests and these trials, God wants you to trust him, but then he wants you to triumph through them. I want you to think about this young man, Isaac. Isaac has been the son of promise. We've seen the journey of Abraham. Abraham was called out of, his pan, out of his homeland. He was been called out of his homeland, away from his father, and in essence. God is saying this: "Do you love me more than you love your family? Do you love me more than you love your homeland?" And Abraham said, "Yes, he left. And he took his wife and his group together and they left that land and we've seen Abraham. We've seen Abraham caring for his, uh, his family member, Lot, caring for him. Even as Lot is trying to take advantage of him, Abraham is caring for him. We see Abraham's heights and we see Abraham's depths, placing his wife in another man's home on, multiple, on several occasions. But then we see Abraham's faith that as as God calls him to bring these animals, if you remember the animals, and I want you to split these animals in two, and we're going to make a covenant right now, and I'm going to walk through the pieces. Abraham, you're not walking through these pieces. I'm making a covenant with you, me, myself, I, God says, I'm doing this for you. Abraham has heard that he's going to have a child and he's been waiting for this son of promise. And and Abraham waited and waited and waited. And and then what did he do? He and Sarah took it into their own hands and, and put Abraham in the bed of another person thinking that they were going to help God along. And even through that, God continued to work in Abraham's life. And I find it interesting that as this chapter begins, we don't know when this occurred, but it says after these things. Spurgeon talks about the fact that the test that we're going to learn about this morning that Abraham is going to go through did not come early in his life. It did not come early in his journey. It has come now as he has matured in his faith. As he has now come to a place where he has trusted God over these years. That now he has gotten his son Isaac, the son of the promise that has come through his wife Sarah. There is a decision been made about Ishmael and Hagar. And now it is Isaac. And now Abraham's. He's moved from he's never hated his son. He's loved his son. He hasn't just simply liked or tolerated his son. He's loved his son. He loved him desperately. But it was after these things that God tested Abraham. I want you to know this as we watch this story is that Abraham doesn't know this is a test. We know because we have the backstory. We know because we know what God was doing through this. But Abraham does not know that this is a test. Why is God testing Abraham? He says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and watch this. Abraham said, here am I. And he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Okay, all right, good, all right. My son, my only son, Isaac, whom I love, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah. That sounds actually kind of fun. Okay, you want me to go away with my son, just me and my boy, and we go away on this trip? This is going to be exciting. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to see the three commands. Take, go, and then here's the third command, offer. It's just shocking that out of this greatness, this wonder, this excitement that my son, take, offer your son. Offer your son. There as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. I can't imagine what Abraham must have been feeling at this moment in time. God is testing him right now. And God is saying, I want you to take your son. I want you to offer your son to me. Adrian Rogers said this, A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. I find that really interesting. God is saying that, I want to test your faith, Abraham. And what is is he testing here? First, he's testing whether Abraham loves God's word. Do you believe my word, Abraham? Do you love my word? Do you love me? He's asking Abraham this. He wants to know this. Is your faith going to be in me no matter what direction I place you in in this life? Whatever path I put you on, will you trust me? Will you value me? Do you love my word? Do you have faith in my path? And do you have hope in my promises? That's exactly what God is trying to do in Abraham's life. And that's exactly what he does in your life as well. Do you trust my word? Do you love me? Do you trust my word? Do you follow my direction? And do you hope in my promises? Do you love me? Do you believe in me? Do you honor me? Will you follow me? So Spurgeon said, this didn't happen in the beginning of his life. This came at the end. And this test is revealing a faith that is there. What he's doing is this. He's trying to reveal the validity, the quality, the depth of his faith. Is this something that God needs to find out for himself? No, it's not something God needs to find out because God knows all things. What he is doing is this. He is revealing to Abraham who he is, the faith that he holds. Oh, that's so important. I want you to know this, that tests have a purpose behind them. They don't just happen out of nowhere. God offers this test and brings this test before Abraham, but there is a clear purpose behind it. The tests and trials that you go through have a purpose behind them. I want you to know this, that this is not just a purposeful test. I need you to know that this is a personal test. This is a test to Abraham. This is a test of Abraham's faith. No one else's. No one else can fill in the blank here right now. It is Abraham's faith that is on trial. And God has a purpose behind it, but it's a personal test. It's you, Abraham, that I'm testing. I want you to know that as you go through tests and trials, sometimes they're extremely painful. I can't think of a more painful test than the test that Abraham is being asked to do today. I often wonder, why is it that God tests us? And as I was thinking about scriptures, how many times is it that God tests people, and it just doesn't seem to make sense? Can you think of some? One of them, for me, was in Exodus chapter 14, and, and God has just rescued his people from Egypt 430 years, they were in bondage in Egypt. And they had cried out to God, God, rescue us. And God rescues them through 10 plagues. And then God lets them go out of Egypt. And now they are moving towards the promised land. And what is before them? The Red Sea. And what is behind them? The Egyptian army. And God, you're not making sense to me. And God says... Trust me. And Abraham, I'm sorry, Moses lifted up his hands and the Red Sea parted. And the people went through on dry ground. I was thinking about Joshua in Joshua. You remember, right there as they're entering the promised land, what happens? Joshua is told to march his army. March his army around what? Jericho. How many times? One time per day, six days. March around the city. On the seventh day, I want you to march around it again, but on that final march, I want you to blow your trumpets and I want you to shout, and the walls are going to come down. God, you just don't make sense to me. But it was a test of faith. You remember in Gideon's time, This army is so immense that as he's watching this rebel army, the Midian army, and he's looking at them and he says, I don't know how we're ever going to overcome it. And he looks at his men that he has. He has 32,000 men. And God says, that's too many. And so what does he do? He says, I want you to pare it down. Tell everybody that's afraid, tell them to go home. They went from 32,000 down to 10. God says, it's still too many. I want you to do a test and see who laps up water. And now we're down to three hundred men. Now I'm ready. You're going to take on a myriad of armies with three hundred men, because then you're going to know this: it is about God that is doing something in your life and through your life—a test of faith. One other one that jumped out at me was this: you remember the widow at Zarephath? Elijah is coming there, and it's a drought. And she has just enough flour and just enough oil to make one more meal for her son and herself, and then they were going to die. And Elijah had the temerity to say, "Make a cake for me." <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Make a cake for me, and your flour pot will not end, and the oil pot will not end until this famine is over. Those are all tests of faith. Incredible test of faith in God, but there's nothing like this one. Take, go, offer. This is a personal test. This is a purposeful test. It's a painful test, but this is a perplexing text. This just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on a number of reasons, because God has told people, do not murder. He said that in Genesis 9, verse 6. Do not take the life of another person. This sounds like the pagans. The pagans do this. They do child sacrifices. God, I can't believe you're asking me to do this. But Abraham doesn't even do that. Abraham, verse 3, responds in faith. Because that's where we start to see his trust. See, God's people must display faithfulness in their trust and obedience. God is going to test us. He is going to try us. He is going to put us through difficult times. But God's people must trust God, there must be a resolute conviction that is happening in our lives. God calls him to do something and there should be an unhesitating faith. And that's what Abraham does. That's actually the nature of faith. Faith is believing God. Even when our eyes and our emotions and everything else in our lives say no, we trust God's word. This faith that Abraham received had had been given to him, just like for you and for me, by grace. It came as a gift, but it is a faith that James says is not alone. See, it's not enough to say that I have faith in you, God. That faith must produce fruit, and it must produce something different in your life. And and that's what is happening here with Abraham. Abraham now, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He responded in faith. What amazes me is this, we see no emotion here, I said that earlier, but what we do see is this, he got to work. Now, I don't know if it's for you, I know for me, that when I am going through trying times and difficult times, emotional times, I sometimes just need to go out there and get physical and do something. And I'm wondering if Abraham goes there and is cutting down this wood, he is just thinking, he is praying, he is struggling deep down within, but he is trying to focus on his life and focus on his purpose and focus on what God has said to him. That's what we need to do. a little morbid here, but as he's chopping down the tree, he's probably trying to calculate how much wood is he going to need to do this burnt offering. To sacrifice my son? But he arose early. We have this um, phrase in our family. It, It goes this way. I've said it to you before. Obey right away, all the way, with a good attitude every day. And the phrase I think I see pretty clearly here in Abraham's life. He obeyed right away. It was prompt obedience. It was immediate. He got up the next morning. He went right to work. And he did what he needed to do and what God was requiring of him. It was a prompt obedience. It was right away. It was all the way. He made his journey to Moriah. And as he's making this journey, he is bringing his axe, he's bringing the wood, he's bringing the fire, he is bringing his son. He is following through on what God has said for him to do. No deviation in this. It's prompt obedience. It was right away. It was all the way. But it's amazing. Look at verse 4 here. He said, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar so he could see it. That's the other thing. I take my cat to the vet. It's a 10-minute drive to the vet. This is a three-day journey, knowing that he's going to sacrifice his son. Every day, he is waking up, and it's another day closer, another day closer, another day closer, and Moriah is about 50 miles from Beersheba. So it's going to take 50 miles to get there. And Abraham is going there, and he is saying this. He says this in verse 4. He says, On that third day he lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar, and then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. What do I see? He has this attitude. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. He is actually saying, We're going to go there and praise God. Now, how many of us would actually think about going up there and sacrificing your son... And that was going to be an aspect of worship. But in Abraham's life, it was not just the actions that he was doing, but deep down in his heart, he says, I am trusting you, God. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to praise you, God. And he continued it. I see a prompt obedience. He did it immediately. I see a persevering obedience. He endured. He went and marched there day after day to get there to Mount Moriah. I see a praise-focused obedience because he says, I'm going to worship God. You know, in James chapter three, 1, verse 3, what does it say? Consider it pure, what? Joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Well, one of my favorite verses in 1 Peter verse um, 1, verse 6, it says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In this trial you can rejoice. Or how about in Ephesians 5.20 it says, Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In everything give thanks. Everything. Everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is what? The will of God the Father in Christ Jesus for you. How many of us would think that going through a test and a trial would be something that is ordained by God, but that we can rejoice in, that we can praise Him for? How many of us would actually think that? And then Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling and without complaining. So Abraham is responding in faith promptly. Abraham is taking his son Isaac on this journey to Moriah, so he's persevering. Abraham says, we're going to go up to the mountain, and he's going to have a praise service up on the mountain. But Abraham is also promise focused. I want you to see that in his obedience. Verse 5. The end of verse 5 says something interesting. We will worship and come again to you. Abraham's belief is this, that I am going up to this mountain top. My son and I are going to go up there. We are going to worship God, and then we are going to come down from that mountain together. Now, some wonder, is is Abraham in denial here? Is Abraham just completely forgetting that God has said, you're going to sacrifice your son up on the, cross, on the uh, altar there? I don't know. Maybe Abraham is being deceptive here. Maybe Abraham knows for certain that Isaac is not coming down and he's lying to him. Maybe. Or maybe Abraham is trusting God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 18, 19, says this. By faith, when tested, offered up Isaac. Abraham offered up Isaac Whom he had received the promise as an act of an offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead. So Abraham, trusting God's word, trusting God's favor, trusting in the promise, in spite of what he could see, says, I'm going to go up to the mountain with my son, and we're going to have to come back because I know what God's word says. So Abraham's faith was prompt. Abraham's faith was persevering. Abraham's faith was praiseworthy. Abraham's faith was promise-focused. And, and what I ask you is this. Is that where you are today? See, see, for me, I need to see how prompt my faith is, how prompt my obedience is. When God says to do something, do I do it? Do you? Is your faith persevering? Is it enduring? Is it steadfast? Do you begin but fail to continue? We need to be continuing through this trial. Is your obedience praiseworthy? Is it worshipful? Or are you here this morning? Do you open your word? Do you go to those Bible studies because I need to do it? Or are you doing it because you want to honor God and love him and worship him? And is your obedience promise focused? Is your obedience focused on what God has promised in his word for you? That's what the essence of trust is. So Abraham is being tested and now he is displaying trust. Look with me in verse 6. He says this, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both together. I want you to know that you know some of the drawings, you've probably seen some of the drawings of Abraham with Isaac, and they show this little baby that he is putting up on the altar. And in all likelihood, that can't be the case, because what Abraham is doing is he's laying the burden of this firewood on his son to carry. This is not a little baby that's carrying this. This, this is a young man who is carrying it. Some think as young as 13 One actually thinks that it could be 33 years old. Hold on to that number until we get to the end. Whatever age this is, this is a young man who is strong and he can carry this wood up this hill. And then we see an agonizing question that comes out. Isaac said in verse 7, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold, we got the fire, we've got the wood. I think we forgot something. Now Abraham's over hundred years old, so he's probably thinking his father probably forgot something. We forgot the lamb. And this affirming reply I see in verse eight. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land. Do you see the God focus? nature of abraham how god-centered he is how god-founded he is he says god will provide this lamb and he provides this lamb not for me not for you isaac he is providing this lamb for himself i think that's a really good place to understand what worship is worship is about god getting glory God wants to be reflected in this world. God wants to be reflected through your life so that other people will see the wonder of who he is. And that even here, in this agonizing question that Abraham has probably not wanted to answer for days, he affirms the trust that God's going to provide a lamb. He doesn't know what it is. Now once again, I don't know if Abraham is just trying to avoid this question with his son, or if deep down he's thinking, God has to be able to provide something here for you. The agonizing question now leads to Abraham prepared to sacrifice his son. Verse 9 through 11. When they came to the place of which Abraham, or God, had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and then he bound his son Isaac and laid him up on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. I want you to understand this. My boy right now is 14 years old and I'm in my mid-50s. And I'll be honest, don't tell him he's stronger than I am in time places. Now, if you double my age, and I'm 100 years old, there is no way in the world that this young man is not going to be able to be faster, stronger than Abraham. There is a willingness that is happening in Isaac that I just can't even comprehend. That Isaac sees his father, and he trusts his father enough that I am going to get up on this altar, I'm going to allow my father to tie me down to this altar. I'm going to allow my father to lift up a knife, and I'm not going to fight him off? No, he doesn't do that. He willingly submits to his father. Mind-blowing to me. And Abraham lifts that knife, and he's ready to thrust that knife into his son. And what he would need to do is to kill his son and then bleed him out and then burn his body as disgusting and as harsh as that is. That's what he needed to do. And Abraham went there and as he's lifting this knife and the test is there and the trust is being revealed, now we see the triumph in verse 10. And Abraham reached his hand out, took his knife slaughtered to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, here am I. You notice that he said that three times in this passage? He said it on the first occasion where God says the test was ordained. He said, here am I. And then just a couple of verses back when when Isaac was asking him, Father, where's the lamb? He says, here am I. And now, again, at the end, he is saying, here am I. He is willing. He is willing. And I want you to see the timing of God here. It's so perfect. Do not, verse 12, lay your hand on the boy, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Did God learn something new? No, God didn't learn something new. God is saying it's been revealed that you trust me, you honor me. Seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You've left your father and your homeland in the past, Abraham. And you trusted me and you loved me. Now you're even willing to sacrifice your own son for me. You love me. You trust me. You believe me. Amazing grace. I can't imagine what Isaac must have been feeling as he looks up as his father, ready to plunge that knife into him. And he says, And then all of a sudden he hears the voice crying out of nowhere My life has been spared. But God required a sacrifice to occur. It wasn't that the sacrifice sacrifice ended. In verse 13, we see that there had to be a substitute. Abraham said, and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns in the thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered that ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. There must be a substitution. You still need to offer a sacrifice, Abraham, because of your sin. There needs to be someone that is going to bleed and die. I'm going to choose to allow it to be that ram, not your son today. The amazing provision... Abraham is sitting there. I can't imagine the praise that he had had. We are talking about him praising God, even as he thought he was going to have to sacrifice his son. But now the praise that he is offering God, that now he's got his son back. He he must be so overwhelmed with praise. And he says in verse 13 and 14, so Abraham called that name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God, Yahweh And actually, literally means to see. Not just see with eyes, but see to it. That God is going to see to it. That this provision is made. As it said, on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I find it interesting that Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. Wouldn't it be the Lord has provided? No, it wasn't as the Lord will provide, that as you look forward, he says that there is going to be a greater provision day after day. And I want you to think about your life as a Christian. Is there a day in your life where God has not provided for you? Is there a trial that you've ever gone through where you've come up short, you do not have the ability? No. In Hebrews it says we have this time of testing and trials, but that God gives us in the right time grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. That God does this work to provide for you in the midst of your greatest trials, your greatest troubles. So we see the amazing grace of God displayed in this timing and this substitution, in this provision. But I want you to see this affirming promise. God has been affirming this promise to Abraham from the beginning. I'm going to take you from a land. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to take you from a land. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you descendants that are greater than the stars in the sky, if you can count them, greater than the sand on the seashore, if you can count it. I am going to give you a heritage, Abraham. And he, he reaffirms the promise here, verse 15. It says, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars and the heavens and the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. An amazing promise, an amazing provision once again. Who is this angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord that said, Abraham, stop! Who is this angel of the Lord that is offering this promise? We've already talked about this. This angel of the Lord, in all likelihood, is a pre-incarnate Christ. That Christ came down here, and this is incredible to me to think about. That the Lord Jesus Christ comes down and is the one who tells Abraham, stop with the knife. And he's the one who says, I am going to fulfill this promise for you, Abraham. It's the same one that is going to go to a cross 2,000 years later. Because 2,000 years later, the Father is going to do what Abraham was called to do. See, 2,000 years later, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, truly God and truly man, always existing, before this world was ever created, God had planned to send his Son. Before we had ever sinned, the triune God had gotten together and the Father had planned our salvation. The Jesus Lord Jesus had planned, was the provision for our salvation and the Holy Spirit was going to be the pledge of our salvation. This had happened before we had ever sinned, before there was ever an earth, there was a pledge between the triune God that this was going to occur. And 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years ahead of Abraham... The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth as a promised child. I want you to think about that. Isaac was a son of promise, well, Jesus was as well. Isaac came here and had to be miraculously brought about. So was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went to a cross for you and for me. He laid himself on the altar voluntarily, substitutionally. For you and for me. He sacrificed himself for you and for me. But what was different is this. As the father was standing there with a knife, ready to plunge it into his son Isaac, God says, stop. But there was no one to say, stop the father from doing it to his son. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is crying out, Lord, if there's any other way, please. There was no other way. There was not going to be a ram caught in the thicket. Not one. The Lord Jesus Christ was going to bear humanity's sins. I want you to think about this drama. One of the assignments we're going to ask you to do this today, I want you to go home and I want you to read Genesis 22. And I want you to pick out as many comparisons as you can think of to Abraham's test and what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. I was thinking about this, that uh, there's a donkey in each one of these stories. A donkey is taking Jesus Christ to Calvary, to Jerusalem. I want you to think about the fact that they both left their homeland. Jesus Christ left heaven to come to earth. um, Abraham is leaving Beersheba to come here to Moriah. I want you to think of this, that they are called the son, the only son. You remember where that is? God so loved this world that he gave his one and, what, only son. I want you to think about the love that the father had for his son. You remember when Jesus was being baptized, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I want you to think of the divine intervention that was there in their birth. I want you to think of the fact that the sons had to carry the wood to their sacrifice. As as Abraham laid the wood upon Isaac, Jesus carried his own wood to the Mount Calvary. I want you to ask yourself and think about the fact that the son asked the father questions. As the son Isaac asked, where is the lamb? As Jesus asked, God, is there another way? I want you to think of the fact that God gave up his son, was willing to sacrifice his son. I want you to think about this, that the son was submissive. Jesus says, no one takes my life. No one. I lay it down willingly. I want you to think about the fact that they were both bound to that wood. Isaac was bound to the wood. Jesus Christ was bound to his cross. I want you to think about the fact that blood was shed in both cases. A ram's blood in the Old Testament, but Jesus' precious blood in the New I want you to think of substitution that has occurred in both occasions. The ram substituted his life for Isaac. Jesus has substituted his life for you if you trust in him. And I want you to think of resurrection. That for some way, Isaac was as sure as dead, but he rose from that altar Jesus Christ truly died, but he rose again three days later. I guess that's another one, three days, a three-day journey for Abraham and Isaac, a three-day movement from the cross to the empty tomb. Maybe you can find more. And as I was thinking about all of those comparisons, the one comparison that is not there is this. The Father laid upon his Son the iniquity of us all. Abraham did not have to do that. God the Father did. God was not sacrificing a cat. He was not sacrificing even his sinful son. He was sacrificing his precious son for you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This song just kept going through my head as I close. How great the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch what his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turned his face away as wounds which mars the chosen one bring many sons and daughters to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulder. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gift, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death, In his resurrection, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot, I can't give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. We get shocked by the story of Abraham and Isaac, and it's like, I just can't believe that, God, you would do this. But we should even be more shocked and amazed And what Jesus has done for you and what the Father has done for you. Worship him today. Would you pray with me? So Father, the test that you had Abraham endure was a test to see whether he loved you. It was a test to see whether he believed you. It was a test to see whether he would follow you. We endure similar tests, not of this magnitude, but every day. We have to trust you. Every day we are are brought to a, a crossroads. Will I love you more than I love others or love myself? Will I trust you more than I trust my own feelings or my beliefs? Will I follow you or will I follow my way? Every day we go through that same test. But what Abraham did was he trusted you. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us to trust you and obey you because there really is no other way. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people of trust, prompt trust, Father. Help us to obey all the way and persevere through that trust. Help us to be people that are promise focused in that trust and help us to be praise filled in that trust. And the Father help us to see the triumph The triumph is because of what your Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. So praise you, Lord. Father, I recognize that there are some here that have never trusted in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe some would even read the story and see it as child abuse. They would see it as so horrific, so heinous. And they would miss the beauty of the gospel. That Abraham and Isaac were types of. Focusing 2,000 years ahead of what you would do with your son for us. Help us to praise him. Help us to honor him. And for those that do not trust you, help us to see our sin. Help us to be so amazed by a love. Help us to stop going after counterfeit loves, Lord. And to find the greatest love that could ever be known. And help us to bow our knee to that lover. And help us to bow our knee and praise your son and to worship him, change hearts, change lives, Lord, today. And help us to bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, would you stand with me as we close? I was thinking of this passage in uh, Ephesians. I'll read this as our final benediction. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that you may be filled with the fullness of God now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Blessings.